The following podcast is going to contain spoilers, along with a team of guys and gals, some real American heroes dedicated to stamping out the worst domestic terrorists that Montana can provide. Proceed at your own risk. Hello and welcome to another episode of Just Another Fanboy. I'm your host, Steven, and today we continue our journey through the mystery that is G.I. Joe. It's not really a mystery at all. I mean, it's pretty straightforward. G.I. Joe is the code name of America's daring, highly trained special mission force. Its purpose to defend human freedom against Cobra, a ruthless terrorist organization determined to rule the world. I can't believe I remembered that all off the top of my head. But we're talking about issue number four of G.I. Joe, a real American hero from Marvel Comics, published in October of 1982. It was written by Larry Hama, plot and art by Herb Trimpey. So I guess Herb kind of kind of dove in there on the old story with Larry. Larry and Herb getting together, writing a little story involving a group of militiamen from Montana that uh, literally want to end the world. They want to start World War III. That's what these two guys just hang out and talk about. Joining them on this thrill ride through Middle America, inks, John Diagostino and Jack Abel, letters by Diana Albers, colors by John Russos, edits by Tom DeFalco, and listed as the commander, Big Jim Shooter. This issue is entitled Operation Wingfield. Big exclamation point there. Wingfield. And the story opens on a splash page of old Wingfield himself. He's a... uh, He's a gentleman in a in a hat, baseball cap type hat. It says strike first on it. That's the name of his military militia organization. He's holding an M16. He's wearing sunglasses and he has a genuine curly Q mustache. He's yelling at some some troops, some cadets, I guess you'd call them, some grunts, some soldiers that he's trying to train. And he sends them through a field exercise in which he has them run along the far end of their target practice field, like along the, the, the frickin' targets. And then he takes this M16 and he fires at their feet. Now he's got a couple of people that work with him, kind of his right-hand man. His name is Carruthers. He too wears sunglasses. He too has a mustache. It's more of a 80s Tony Stark pencil thin kind of dual mustache thing going on. And then his wife, Sherry. And they're both a bit against him using live artillery during this exercise and sherry tells him so she says i don't know about this vance these recruits are too green and they've only been in training here for a week carruthers which i just love that name carruthers it fits his pencil thin mustache he agrees he tells commander wingfield that his wife is right and he gives them both what for old commander wingfield and his curly q mustache he goes a bit more easy on carruthers tells him that he's out of line But then he tells his wife that when he wants her opinion, he'll ask her for it, which is, you know, I guess something a tough guy would say. But of course, during this exercise, as he's shooting live rounds at these troopers' feet, I don't know what you call them, soldiers, cadets, he he hits one in the knee and the guy yells, yeah, I'm hit. Carruthers and darling Sherry run out to help the guy. Carruthers suggests that they, they get the guy to a hospital because he shattered the dude's bone, but... Commander Wingfield, being the hard case he is, denies that request. He says they all knew the risks when they joined. He says that guy's just going to have to make do with a field dressing and some aspirin, which I guess is the militia version of walk it off. 
we find out we're actually watching some kind of surveillance footage that the FBI managed to get. I don't know how they got this footage because it's really well produced and it has multiple camera angles. So the FBI uh, must be hiring guys like uh, Steven Spielberg to get out there and do their surveillance footage. But we're in G.I. Joe headquarters and Commander Hawk is up there telling them about this new group or this group. I don't know if they're new, but they're called Strike First. But Hawk is telling them that even though they are a domestic terrorist group, It looks like they're being funded by some of the big international terrorist groups, or at least one of them, possibly even Cobra. And so because it involves international terrorism, or at least a domestic terrorist group that's being funded by international terrorists, it's right up G.I. Joe's street. And so they're going to send some people in. Hawk, of course, is one of them. And the other one that's going in with him is Grunt. They're going to go undercover as new recruits. And then they're going to have uh, Snake Eyes as their man behind the scenes. He's going to be outside hiding in trees and writing notes in a journal. Seriously, he does that. He, he, he does other stuff, but he at, at one point is hiding in trees and writing in journals. So Grunt and Hawk show up to their recruiting thing here. They, they get off the bus. It's an actual chartered bus. Charter Lines is the name of the bus. And with them, coming off the bus with them, are the other recruits. But some of these recruits have brought their wives and children with them. And turns out that uh, Wingfield encourages it. He likes them to bring the women and children because if you have power over a man's family, you have more power over the man. So right away, as Wingfield is giving them the big speech about what their organization stands for, you know, it's all about survival and when the world goes to crap and, and you know, after World War III and everything, they're going to be the only ones around and blah, 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 and all this stuff. Grunt and Hawk are already checking the place out. They've already decided where the ammo dump is. And then that night at 2300 hours, which for you non-military folk, that's 11 p.m., they're in the bunkhouse and they're having a, I, I have to assume it's a whispered conversation, but practically every sentence ends with an exclamation point. So it feels like they're in bed yelling at each other, even though they're laying in cots right next to each other. And the other guys in the room have to be pretty upset about that. They're, they're speaking really, really loudly about the, the layout of the place and how many intervals there are between you know did you pace off the intervals between the floodlight masts and and that kind of stuff so then we get some 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 uh some scenes of the recruits going through training and uh hawk and grunt have to uh act like they don't know what they're doing they have to go slowly they have to pretend to fight badly otherwise they're gonna stick out like a sore thumb And as this is going on, like I said, Snake Eyes is up on a tree and he's watching them with binoculars and he's writing in a journal. And it's really, it's actually quite interesting since Snake Eyes doesn't talk. This is like one of the first times we've ever got to, to, to look into his mind. And mainly it's just him talking about the way the place is laid out and the, the different airplanes that they have and his plan for getting in and getting out. But the first thing he says in his little journal, he says, Snake Eyes Recon Report, 0645 hours. Observed Hawk and Grunt pretending to be clumsy and slow in a most unconvincing manner. Ha 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 That's not really all that funny. So Snake Eyes sneaks in that night to check some stuff out. He is there to look for nuclear weapons. That's really what they're all there. They're All three of them are there for. Snake Eyes is there to look for nuclear weapons. 
The other two are there just to see what kind of um, munitions they have. Snake Eyes is able to creep into a building and watch a meeting of all the bigwigs here in Camp Winfield, Wingfield or whatever it's called, while Hawk and Grunt break into the ammo dump to see what kind of weapons and munitions and tanks and such they have. Well, Snake Eyes overhears Commander Wingfield telling all his people that they have gotten word that the U.S. government is aware of their little operation, and they're showing a bit of interest in their direction, and so they have to step up their plans. And here's what their plans are. Cobra has given them two nuclear warheads. The first one, they've, they're going to load onto an old B-29 bomber. They're going to fly it to Vladivostok in Russia and drop it on the city. The idea being, if they detonate a nuclear warhead in Russia, Russia's going to assume it was the Americans, and then they're going to send a counterstrike to America. America's going to see all these bombs heading their way. They're going to launch all their missiles at Russia. World War III breaks out. The strike first camp, I guess, will go into some underground bunkers. And then when all is said and done, they're going to come up. And they will be the rulers of the new Earth. The second warhead, they've actually buried underground, underneath the base, their, their little camp. And that is their, that's their plan B. If for some reason something happens and they're unable to drop the warhead in Russia, they they have a little, there's only three people that know where the warhead is that's buried under the camp. Him, his buddy Carruthers, who he might as well call Smithers, and uh, his wife Sherry. And he's the only one who knows how to defuse it. Vance Wingfield. Did I mention that his name is Vance? Vance Wingfield, who's also completely bald. I should mention that. Bald, always wearing sunglasses, big, genuine curly Q mustache. He's the only one that knows how to defuse the bomb. So the point is, if they're unable to drop the one warhead on Vladivostok, then they detonate the one under the base. And the Americans will think that the Russians have, uh, you know, sent a missile over that they have attacked, and then they'll send all their missiles to Russia, blah, 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 World War Three again. Of course, plan B means that everybody in the first strike camp will be dead, but he's okay with that. Vance is all right with that because he knows that the people that caused this to happen, or at least the people that forced his hand, will also be dead soon anyway. So he's, he's all right with it. He also happens to mention in an offhand manner that the armory has a silent alarm. That will become part of the story really quite soon because Grunt and Hawk break into the armory. They find a bunch of tanks. One of them steps on the silent alarm, which is apparently just a rope that's going across the ground in front of them. The alarm itself is just, there's a there's a big freaking sign on the back wall of this meeting room that they're in. And there are two lights on the sign and next to one sign or next to one light, it says armory. And next to the other uh, light, it says airfield. So when the light next to armory goes off, they know that somebody triggered the silent alarm in the armory and they send everybody out to uh, find out what's what. And so all the recruits, all the soldiers, everybody on the base just converges on the armory. Hawk and Grunt, of course, since they're freaking G.I. Joes, they manage to take out a couple dozen of them. And just they're just a big scene of fisticuffs. At one point, Grunt actually picks a guy up over his head and throws him at four or five other guys because he says, there's too many of them, Hawk, no room to swing. And Hawk tells him, then clear the area. And that's when he throws this one guy at everybody else and opens the area up so they can, you know, put fist to chin 
and take some of these guys out. But eventually, because there's a lot of these soldiers, they take Grunt and Hawk prisoner. But Vance Wingfield, Commander Vance Wingfield, realizes that the military is on to him. They have to step up their plans, and he tells Carruthers to suit up because he's getting in that bomber. In the meantime, Snake Eyes breaks into the communication shed and using Morse code at a telegraph machine, he warns the Joes about what's going down. So the next morning, a couple of these soldiers takes Grunt and Hawk out to the pit. I think that's what they call it. There's just a big hole in the ground with the freaking ladder leading into it. And they're going to chuck him in the pit. But Snake Eyes comes and rescues him. But it's too late. The bomber has already taken off. So Hawk says he's going to go stop the bomber. And he tells uh, Grunt and Snake Eyes to get back to the armory and keep an eye on Wingfield. Well, Wingfield realizes what's going on. He sees the guys out there. He they They start firing guns at Grunt and Hawk. And then he tells Sherry to start arming the women and the children. He says, Sherry, Plan Alpha is now in effect. You will prepare to arm the women and children at the first sign of a full assault. And this is when Sherry starts kind of going, maybe I didn't really marry the right guy. He wants the women and children to pick up guns and fight the American military. He may have a bit too many bats in the old belfry. Maybe Sherry thinks maybe I should give this whole marriage thing another thought. In the meantime, Hawk manages to get a hold, get into this, this jet, this old fighter jet. And as he's taking off, a couple of guys in the tower see it take off. And they happen to mention that someone's starting up the jet that was redlined for radio repairs. That means something as well. We need to know that the radio doesn't work. Because as soon as Hawk gets in the air, he tries to radio to G.I. Joe to let him know that this bomber is heading for Russia. But of course he can't because there's no radio. And then when he catches up to Carruthers, he can't even tell Carruthers, dude, I'm going to shoot you down if you don't land this plane. So all he can do is, is shoot him down. He's hoping that when he does, that Carruthers will bail out. But Carruthers, he just rides that, that bomber all the way into the ocean, giving himself into the sweet death that is his honor to fight for domestic terrorism. Vance Wingfield discovers that the plane had gone down, so his only choice at this point is to uh, start the timer on the other warhead. One of the, uh, the, the wives of the soldiers, she doesn't quite know what he's doing, but she knows it's not right. She says she's taking her son and she's leaving. Vance pulls a gun as she's walking away and he's going to shoot them both in the back. And he's, he's, he's kind of pumping himself up to do it. And basically he's telling himself, you know what? Uh, I might as well shoot him in the back because in about 10 minutes, this bomb's going to go off and we're all going to be dead anyway. So I might as well. I mean, nothing's going to happen to me. I'm going to shoot a child and a woman in the back because of my curly Q mustache makes me a real man. And he tells Sherry that she needs to back him up. And she pulls her gun and she says, I know exactly what to do, Vance. And she shoots her husband in the back because she realizes that she probably doesn't really need to be married to a man who's about to detonate a nuclear bomb underneath them all and shoot a child in the back. That's probably not somebody she wants to be married to. In the meantime, the Joes land, the whole team of Joes land in their chopper. They keep referring to Stalker as Ranger for some reason. They come in to find that Vance is dead and that Sherry has done it. And she tells Hawk that doesn't really matter because there's a bomb, nuclear bomb right below him. 
It's going to blow up. She can show him where it is, but Vance is the only guy that knows how to, how to, how to stop it. And Hawk basically tells her, lady, we're G.I. Joe. You don't, you don't tell us that something is impossible because we do the impossible every day. And they bring up the nuclear bomb and he sends Zap in to defuse it. Zap also has a pencil thin mustache. Frankly, if you just put a pair of sunglasses on Zap, he, his hair is a little bit longer, but otherwise he looks just like Carruthers. A lot of pencil thin Tony Stark mustaches in this issue. But they, they defuse the bomb. Everybody's happy. And they're all standing outside and they're like, yay. And they're giving each other high fives. And at one point, uh, a couple of locals in a red pickup truck drive by and grunt saying, sheesh, I'll bet these locals are sure glad we were on the job. And these local dudes, they're, they're driving by and they're looking, they're looking at the soul at GI Joe out there on the base says, well, Clem looks like they moving in some real soldier boys up to the old Wingfield place. And Clem says, yep. Liquor prices are going to go up and the sheriff's going to be setting up speed traps again. And the other guy says, best keep close eye on your women folk, too. And that's how it ends. That's how the book ends with uh, Clem's buddy in the pickup truck telling him to keep an eye on his women folk because them soldier boys are in town. They're going to be able to raise the liquor prices, make some money off them speed traps, and then keep an eye on their women folks because that's what the military boys, that's what they do. Them soldier boys, all they do is drink liquor, feed, and go after them women folk. That that's, must be how it is in Montana. I'm never. I'm, I'm sure I've been in Montana, but I'm not really sure. I don't. I don't know if that's a. It's a, if that's an accurate representation of the people, the good people in the state of Montana. I'm sure they'd be a little upset about that. But then again, some people in Montana may read that and go, "Oh yeah, that's that's my neighbor. That's Clem and Billy Joe Bob up there in Montana." I don't know what else to say about the issue. It was pretty funny. It was kind of a fun issue. Herb Trempe, of course, on art. He's I, I'm really enjoying his art. It's very, you know, it's 1982. So again, it's that classic Marvel house style. We didn't. Here's another issue. You know, I talked a couple issues back. Um, was it? No, it wasn't last issue. Sec, second issue in no Cobra. We had Cobra in issue one, no Cobra in issue two, Cobra in issue three. And here we are in issue four. They at least mention Cobra. But again, it's like, Larry Hama is trying to go out of his way to make sure that every issue just isn't G.I. Joe versus Cobra. Now, that's going to change eventually. It is going to be every issue is going to be G.I. Joe versus Cobra, and there's going to be ninjas in in orange, freaking neon pink outfits and laser guns and stuff like that. It gets pretty crazy as we move along. But these first this first year or so is is fairly fairly down to earth. I mean, if you dismiss the giant robot that was in the last issue, but GI Joe's just taking on some domestic terrorists here. And it's really not something that they would normally go up against. But again, because they were financed by international terrorists, that's GI Joe's bread and butter, international terrorism. But there we go. GI Joe issue number four, Marvel Comics, October 1982. I would have been 10 years old when this book came out. I wasn't reading comic books at the time, or at least I wasn't buying them. I'm not sure how old I was when I started reading like the old Huey, Dewey and Louie and Scrooge McDuck and Casper and stuff like that. But I certainly wasn't going into comic book stores and buying comics. So this was not a book I would have bought off the shelf. Five, six, seven years later, when I was really collecting, I may have bought this out of the back issue bin at one point. But it, but again, as I explained on one of the previous issues, I'm reading trade paperbacks that are available for free through Comixology Unlimited. As long as you're a member, 
This is volume one of G.I. Joe Classics, and they're reprinting the old Marvel G.I. Joe comic books. If, if you're a member of Comixology Unlimited, heck, they probably got them out on Hoopla as well if you don't want to spend any money on reading these books. But I would invite you to read them right along with me, and then you can, then you can, uh, you know, you can become part of the action, part of the action team, as it were, our own little G.I. Joe force. I'm shaking my head. You can't see me, but I'm, I'm shaking my head because just the idea of that sounds ridiculous as I say it out loud. Anyway, that's the episode. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, if you feel like throwing a little support my way, I would encourage you to join the Just Another Fan Club over at my Patreon. That is at patreon.com slash Stephen R. Orr. And for as little as a dollar a month, that's, that's all you need to get in on all the good stuff over there. Dollar a month, then you have instant access to the other podcast I do called My Other Podcast. We just recently talked about the book Crossover by Image Comics. Talked about that over there. That was one of our book of the months that we do on My Other Podcast. The folks, the patrons, they get to join in. They pick out the book that I talk about each month. And for November, they picked Crossover. Pretty soon, I got to put up some books for December, and we'll let them pick out what we're going to talk about in December. You can, you can be a part of that. Doesn't that sound exciting? I mean, if you if you've been losing sleep lately thinking, you know what? I wish that once a month I could tell Stephen what book I want him to read and talk about on a podcast. Well, here's your chance. And it's only going to cost you a dollar, just a buck. I don't know where you're going to get a deal like that. I don't. You're surely not going to get that down at the McDonald's. You may get a satisfying hamburger, however, which I can't, I cannot offer you. I cannot offer you through my Patreon. If you got any feedback for me, if you listen to the episode and you got something to say about it, you can send me an email at feedback at stephenorelse.com. You can follow me over at Twitter and Instagram at Stephen or else. You can find the, the Facebook page, facebook.com. Uh, I think, good Lord, what is the link? It'll be in the show notes. It's just another fanboy podcast. It's over there on facebook.com. Just come be a part of that. And you can leave a note on the post or something. I don't know. You know, I shouldn't, I, I don't, I don't know what I'm trying to say. I don't want to tell you what to do. I mean, I do want you to give me money. That would be pretty awesome. But other than that, I don't, I don't really want to tell you what to do. You're an adult, I assume. I can't imagine a child listening to this. But at some point as I'm nearing the end of this episode, I realize that I've been rambling for quite a number of minutes. So I'm going to go wrap it up. And well, I'm not going to go anywhere to wrap it up. I'm going to wrap it up right now as I'm talking about it. How's that? Should we just do that? Should we just wrap it up? All right. So I guess I have to say my thing, which is until next time, I'm Steven and I'm just another fanboy. Be nice to each other. Wear a mask. Stay safe. The following podcast is going to contain spoilers along with a team of people, just some real American heroes, some hardworking gals and giddy girlfriends. Messed up. I messed up. The following podcast is going to con. Blah, Flynn, Smatterschman. Old Commander Carruthers and his curly Q mustache. Now, not Commander Carruthers, I said that wrong.
but they're called strike first, but they're called strike for the. And I'm assuming one of the guys that was in strike first goes on to stupid phones ringing. And I'm assuming one of these guys ended up creating the uh, Cobra Kai dojo. That was a dumb joke. I'm just, I may, I may cut this out. I may not. <laughs>